I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's last newspaper. We call it the Starling Tribune. Now broadcasting from our Earth 1 shelter. You guys got your comfy chairs yet? Oh, I did. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I am your chief editor. My name is SP and your other award-winning reporters for this episode number 256 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Something tells me we're going to need the green guy. And Michelle. The next time you decide to double cross someone, don't pick a woman who specializes in revenge. I still think that's going to apply here. So it'll be interesting how that goes forward. This podcast is recorded on Friday, November 29th, 2019. It's Black Friday, live on www.geeks.live. That's right. And this afternoon, we'll be discussing the most recent episode of Arrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that may have dropped in the last week that could impact the future episodes of Arrow, as well as the rest of the greater CW television universe. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at gundageek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys, for helping with the intro here. Michelle, why don't you go ahead and help us break down the episode that we watched on the eve of the heaviest travel day of the year. Sure thing. This episode is called Reset. It's season eight, episode six. It aired Tuesday, November 26, 2019. It was directed by David Ramsey. This is his second directing credit this is the second episode of arrow he has directed it was written by honor lee hunter credits include four episodes of arrow and eight of the last ship and maya houston credits include one episode of arrow and two minimum wage this episode aired in well there was only three episodes on the cw network with their superhero shows that were new this week batwoman and superwoman were reruns Wow. Reruns. What, what's that? What's a rerun? I have no idea. If you're streaming, you don't know at all. <laughs> right. Anyway, the first episode aired on Monday, the 25th of November. This is Thanksgiving week in the United States. It was Black Lightning, and it was the seventh episode of the third season, The Book of Resistance, Chapter 2, Henderson's Opus, to a live rating of 0.65. I got to say, I am not a fan of the occupation. Tuesday, the 26th of November, Flash aired the seventh episode of the sixth season. This is the only episode so far that I have not watched of any of the shows. It was titled The Last Temptation of Barry Allen, Part 1, and it was just because I didn't have time, to a live rating of 1.17. It was followed by this episode of Arrow, which had a live rating of 0.79, which is slightly higher than it had been, but it's waffling between like point. 6.5 and 0.9, so it hasn't breached that one really on the year. We'll see as we get closer to crisis and then possibly with the finale episodes. 
Michelle, did you happen to watch that episode of Flash? Yes, and it's really good. Okay. I can't wait to watch it. I still haven't seen the third episode of The Mandalorian, or I guess the fourth episode is out now today. Fourth dropped this morning, and there's some adorbs moments in it, to put it best. I can't wait to watch those three episodes. I'll start tonight, probably get into some tomorrow. But also, you know, this is the week of Hallmark Holiday movies, where they do seven movies for the entire week. Actually, it's eight if you count the previous Sunday. Actually, I think it's ten if you count the previous weekend. So, yeah, there's a lot of Hallmark Holiday movies that are premiering this week so you got to catch them all well don't forget there's a new christmas movie on disney plus as well that just premiered with the service i think it's called noel which is about santa claus's children so there's a holiday christmas movie on there starring anna kendrick cool i just wanted to point out that consultant black adam at star saber underscore 222 on twitter he tweeted me today with a Hallmark Christmas movie plot generator, and you pick one from each of the columns. And we'll just go through the first three columns just so you get an idea. So the first column is the movie starts in a big city, career-oriented person, recently single, world-weary, or with the wrong guy. You can pick one of those five, I guess. And the next column is who the person is, lawyer, writer, a baker, interior designer, or early 2000s actor you forgot about. And let me tell you that uh, since you're a fan of the CW shows, since you're listening to this podcast, there are a lot, including Nissa Agul herself, that has been on these things. And then the third column is just one choice. You don't get a choice. It returns to her small town at Christmas time. Let me emphasize that returns to her small town at Christmas time. So all these movies are orientated towards the woman, which hadn't always been the case. There was a couple early in Hallmark's history that it was guy orientated, but now it's all woman orientated. So there you go. There's the first three columns. You can go to Star Saber's Twitter feed and you can find all the rest out there. Anyway, now that I've got that out of my system, because it's holiday time and you got to get that out of my system. We're going to talk about this particular episode of Arrow and the overall theme. We relate the theme to the title of the theme. I have all sorts of problems with this. So, Michelle, what do you got for Reset? We finally got a time loop, Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow, Supernatural Tuesday episode. Whatever your point of reference is, we get a time loop episode. In a way, it's a time loop episode. So it has an event and it resets and repeats. And then when you learn what the point is, it almost resets the mission. It resets Oliver's focus into realizing that working with the monitor is what he's supposed to be doing. They're on the same side and let's get everything together and do this. All right. I'm just going to start into my issues with this. So we started the season out where Oliver was resigned to his fate. He was in this boat originally. And then Diggle came around, convinced him that he couldn't do it alone, that they could fight this. And then he went off for the start of the season, the previous five episodes, and tried to change his lot in life. And now we're back at square one. It makes me feel like the season meant nothing. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but... It- You've got to think, Oliver is generally one who normally doesn't think his fate is sealed and can figure something out. So it was kind of strange for him to automatically believe the monitor and be like, oh, I'm going to die. And Diggle kind of reminding him, hey, you defy the odds all the time. That was incensed with character. And now you've kind of got the monitor coming back like, no, no, dude, you're going to die. And let's make you embrace it. So 
it's kind of, I think, more forcing in the fact that, hey, your fate is very clouded, and so much so that Oliver can finally admit that I'm probably going to die now. Crap. Because remember, he's the guy that never gives up, ever. And now he's sort of resigned to the fact that he's going to sacrifice himself to save everyone. And if you've been watching Flash, it's a mirror to what's happening to Flash, and especially when you watch this week's episode and what happens to Barry. I don't want to spoil it because SP hasn't seen it. I don't think the episodes before this have been a waste. First off, he's been able to, even though he's been fighting his fate, he's been able to also make peace with certain parts of it. You know, we had those moments with Talia. We had those moments with Thea. It's sort of like this really odd dichotomy. On one level, he knows he has to fight this big fight and he possibly has this fate. But it's like the brain and the heart. It's like, logically, he's like, I made this agreement. Um, the crisis is coming. I'm going to sacrifice himself. And then his heart's like, dude, no, we could cheat this. Come on. And then finally, in this episode, it's what Quentin said at the end, not giving up, you're giving in and you're making peace with it. The monitor has done nothing to make Oliver trust him or to enable Oliver to trust him. This has all been a mind frack this episode. These are all pretend people in there. They're not real as far as I'm concerned. I think it was just a intermind time loop that was intertwined with Lila and with Laurel. And what happened with Diggle? That's another problem I have. Diggle was also Trank, but he was not in the time loop. I have an issue with that. But maybe there wasn't a lesson the monitor needed him to learn in the time loop. Like he needed to make Oliver learn a lesson and in a roundabout way have Laurel be rewarded for her loyalty, like Lila said. There's really no reason for Dig to be in the loop. Other than maybe bridge a island of trust to Lila and the monitor, I still have no trust in either of them. This was just all a hey, we're just going to drug you and we're going to make you experience this and you're going to think what I want you to think. The other thing to consider is that maybe, remember, the episode's from Oliver's point of view. We don't know that Laurel's there until Oliver happens upon her. So maybe everything that Diggle, if he got put in there to experience, was not done in conjunction with Oliver and kind of happened off camera. And remember... This actually also happened in Legends of Tomorrow, where Gideon put Zari into this weird state, and she was experiencing this time loop with the ship exploding. And then we find out, no, it's not an actual time loop. It's Gideon putting her through all of these things and testing her and making her realize that she is part of the team. It was Hedgehog Day there, though. I trust Gideon. I do not trust the monitor. I do not trust Lila. Lila says it's bigger than anything we've ever faced before. And she said that she had been working with the monitor for a while. So the whole baby Sarah Flashpoint thing theory is gaining a little bit of traction because Flashpoint was what, season three of Flash? So that was what, two seasons ago? Have you seen some of the commercials on Crisis, by the way? Yes. Yeah. Baby Sarah. I didn't notice baby Sarah in there, but okay. There was a scene where you see a small baby in it. I can't confirm that it's Sarah. It could be anybody really, but 
it makes me think it could be baby Sarah. So from that standpoint, yeah, but I still, if this is the case, the monitor has done nothing to gain my trust in arrow specifically. And yes, I've seen him and all the other stuff that he's been in, except for this last episode of flash, which I haven't seen. So maybe I'm tainted because that episode of flash did air the hour before this episode of arrow. But also after Lila's betrayal, I don't have confidence in her either. And like I said, having Diggle in the episode, and I realized David Ramsey actually directed this episode, but having Diggle in the episode might have helped bridge that. And all we got was an echo of Diggle. We got an echo of Quint. I mean, those two together in real life have been a heck of an influence on Oliver and all you got was their echoes. So yeah, I'm not okay with this episode. They could have done a better job building up to it and they didn't. It was all this stuff that he's bad he's bad the monitor's bad the monitor's bad and then lila's betraying and then boom you're in a mind frack and then all of a sudden you just learn to give in and trust it it's not well thought out i can't buy into it i was never of the belief that the monitor was necessarily bad but more he is of the mindset of the ends justify the means and that's always been how he's been controlling things going through here so as far as I consider it, he sees Oliver as a chess piece he needs to maneuver around. He sees Lila as a chess piece that he can maneuver to get what he needs done. None of this is him caring about whether Oliver trusts him or anything like that. It's more of making Oliver believe that he has to trust the monitor and that the monitor is right in things. It very well could be that Oliver is not going to die as a result of this, but he needs to be ready to make a sacrifice play, and that's why the monitors manipulated him. It's all about manipulation this season. I don't think it's anything about trust. For anyone outside of Team Arrow, I, I wouldn't necessarily trust anyone aside from my kids and Diggle and Laurel if I were Oliver at this point in time, because everyone else is an unknown quantity. But I think that's just the feeling of uncertainty they're trying to develop before we get into crisis. And that heartfelt moment that he has with the kids, Connor included, by saying, you know, every moment is a gift. That was great if he would have actually said that to him in real life. But it was in his mind loop. By the way, I'm usually big on time loops. I love time loop episodes. And if done right, they're just absolutely phenomenal. I love them. This one, I just had a problem in the whole setup because I just don't have that it makes sense moment to me because I still have those hesitancies against. And maybe next week they'll fix some of that because Diggle, the whole team's going to be in the next episode by the preview that I saw. So, okay. But. Just going into this discussion, this episode did not sit well with me. And in a season that has been really good for me, and I even complimented Beth Schwartz on it, I do have an issue with how this episode came off, the setup to it, and the final conclusion of Oliver, given the things that he had in front of him. I can understand. Part of it, I think, is for some reason, the higher-ups have given their responsibility of building up to crisis to Arrow. And while Arrow is also in its final season and it's only 10 episodes and it's got to carry these two burdens at the same time. We're the last season. We have 10 episodes. We have to lead into crisis. They're not giving it more to flash, which is a higher rated show. And Barry is supposed to sacrifice and flash. It's more. It is more about Barry, but you don't have a lot of the analyzing of the monitor's actions as much as Barry's personal struggle. His is also being mirrored by this guy, Bloodwork, 
we're not a flash podcast. I don't want to get in it too much. I think that's part of the problem with Arrow. If they would maybe have given them a couple more, like in the front, because if you notice, this is episode six of Arrow while Flash is on seven. So maybe if they had just given them just the, maybe that one more to make them Flash seven, Arrow seven, made them start the same week. And given the writers on Arrow a little bit of breathing room to really help them do this dual thing that they've been stuck in doing. I always thought that was the whole purpose of the season of Arrow was to get that one last crossover with Crisis and to give the show a good send off. And that still might happen. I just have issue with this one episode. Well, I think that's still the intent. It's just, it's really hard to do an Arrow farewell, but still have that dictate from above that is we've got to get the Crisis hook in this week because every episode is at a hook of some kind into Crisis at this point, I think, even if it's just a minimal one. And this one was very crisis heavy for preparing Oliver to accept what we assume his role is, which is death. Because I even told my mom, my mom watches Flash. She has stopped watching Arrow. She stopped watching Arrow like two seasons ago, which I did not blame her. And she has questions about like this monitor person and kind of like what else is going to happen in this crisis thing. And I told her that it would help if she watched Arrow, I told her it's, you don't have anything to catch up on. It's 10 episodes. So if you want to fill in some of those gaps that you have by watching Flash, you should watch Arrow. It's been the two of them have been mostly responsible for what's going on. There's not really anything in the Black Lightning or Supergirl or Batwoman to speak of. Yeah, it's largely been these two. And like I said at the beginning of the season, I feel like I've been suckered into watching some of these shows with lesser plot, like Supergirl and Black Lightning. I don't want to watch either of them this year because of what's going on. Not because I hate the characters, not because I hate the shows, but the storylines have just been really grating on me. You've got the Lena Luthor thing over on Supergirl and you've got the occupation over on Black Lightning and neither storyline is resonating with me or I think is being really well done and it's they are being forced into the crisis and then you've got Flash and Arrow which are talking about crisis and you got Batwoman which should be in there except for it's just too new it's in the same it's on the same earth as Arrow and Flash they just haven't had any tie over to this crisis yet. I think it might have helped them a little bit this season if you had subtitled Arrow Season 8 as like Prelude to Crisis or something like that. Because think of it as like a comic book prequel, basically, or like the little prequel miniseries they do before they start one of their big Marvel or DC events. This is kind of what is establishing the groundwork. A lot of what we've seen in Arrow on top of, you know, last year's crossover, of course. So I've kind of looked at this as the farewell to Arrow, but it's also playing at the same point the prequel to or Prelude to Crisis role. Also, I read that the addition of Black Lightning was a last-minute decision. It came very late. So I don't think anything that's happening on Black Lightning will be connecting to Crisis in any way, shape, or form. It's just the character Black Lightning. He's the only one to appear from that show, I believe they said, too. Well, if you take a look at any of the TV spots that have aired on it, it's pretty obvious why it's only him. And it'll be interesting how that storyline pans out too as well so i get it but i got it from the commercial the lead-up the promo for crisis i didn't get it from the show itself well to be fair the show's still next week's pretty much our first our last episode before crisis i imagine it's next week we're going to get a lot more of the 
stuff sprinkled in that here's the final things you need to know before crisis or at least the next big step towards it where you're like oh it's on now this is going to be fun this is kind of suffering from the fact we're still two weeks out from it so they're still trying to tie up some of their own loose threads and tie up some of the loose threads that they need for crisis to kick off i think in large part it's going to be like an ending to back to the future where you got doc brown coming in at the end and said marty your kids it's going to be a last minute thing for a lot of these shows but flash and arrow it's going to be part of the show so far i have to admit there were some parts of this episode i really enjoyed i'm glad to have seen paul blackthorne back just he's been gone for like a se- you know a season but he just jumped right in and was right there not skipping a beat the moment he had with laurel again katie cassidy acting game has stepped up this season very impressed with that and that moment between her and lance where she's just like i i just wanted a chance to tell him what he means to me and that i love him and i wanted to say goodbye that and then just again lance and oliver yes it's in his brain and such but in a way it was still lance it it was still quentin the quentin we know and giving him just the right advice without telling him finally making oliver ask that question of what finally changed your mind about something and the whole call back to the hood and you know with the daughters and everything it just the conversation after the second to last time loop with Quentin at the end where Quentin sacrificed himself, basically, that was just that was some of the greatest acting between the two. They've had some great moments as Quentin was ending his run on the show. Paul Blackthorne was ending his run on the show. And I really like the last time they didn't end it there. They brought him back for one final time loop where Oliver says goodbye to him, basically. And Paul Blackthorne, Quentin Lance says this won't be the last time you see me. And we already know that because we've been doing news items. So I'm like, oh, that's great foreshadowing. I love how they did that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was all about Oliver coming to terms like we talked about that you don't always win. And it kind of reminded me of, I had to find the quote online, a Picard one that I really like from Star Trek The Next Generation that sort of applies here that Oliver's having learned this lesson of. It's possible to commit no errors and still lose. That is not a weakness that is life. And here it is, Oliver, he's piecing all these pieces together. He's figuring out how to, oh, I might be able to save him by trying this. No, you, you've done everything. You made it so you made no errors in any of this and you still lose. It's, it's just going to happen sometimes. You can't always win. And it's a tough lesson to learn here. And it's a bit ham-fisted. The monitor wants him to learn that lesson going into crisis. But it's a lesson that Oliver's never really had to confront because he's always found a way to win in some way, shape, or form. And everything we've had so far he loses for a while but he wins in the end it seems like has been the overall threat and they want us to think here that uh he's done he's not going to win his win is that his friends and family survive crisis not necessarily him i have a question for you guys why do you think there was no opening title sequence to add to the mind trippiness of it i'm not sure i, I thought it would be kind of cool if they did an opening sequence every time they reset through time i thought that would have been kind of cool but I was watching it on the treadmill, and admittedly, I was watching it time delayed. I watched it this morning. Well, I was watching it on the treadmill, and sometimes I don't notice intricacies like that while I'm on the treadmill, but I was really struggling as to what was going on with the time loop. Because, again, I love time loop episodes. I love the fact that they reference Groundhog Day. I love the fact that they reference Edge of Tomorrow. 
That's a new lexicon in today's kids, by the way. They might not know Groundhog Day, although they probably should. Edge of Tomorrow, they all know because it, heck, it was a great movie. And didn't they want to do a sequel for that? I haven't heard of anything. Supposedly, movie. there was still a sequel that was being talked about. I don't know where it is on the priority of anything. I think Emily Blunt's more interested in working with her husband than Tom Cruise right now, but hey, I would like to see a another one of those, whether it's a prequel or two or whatever, because it could be a prequel. It could be like what happened to Emily Blunt's character the first time around without Tom Cruise. That would be kind of fun, right? Yeah, I'd be down with that. Anyway, so no opening title sequence with this. I was on the treadmill and I did notice that there was no title sequence because I was like, okay, where's the green arrow picture? Because sometimes it's just that you just get the title card and there wasn't even that. I have to believe that was intentional. I don't think that they just forgot about it. Like, oops, we didn't put it in the copy. The better question would be, was it omitted for time? I didn't go and look at the full time of this episode and see whether, hmm, could they fit in another 50 seconds for the opening and the voiceover? Yeah. So even if it's just the title card, they could have taken that five or 10 seconds because usually when I fast forward through things on, because I recorded on my DVR, I can watch it on the app because I got a Roku down there and I could watch it on the DVR this i watched it on the dvr because i just wanted to fast forward through the commercials and usually if it's running tight on time it'll be like 46 minutes 48 minutes of actual episode time in this particular case it was closer to 42 minutes of episode time so i think they had time okay i just thought it was odd i don't care i can't remember if they've done that before they've always always had a title card matter of fact i remember once didn't they wait until like the end of the second act to run it, I believe. I remember that once where it took a while, but yeah, this was, it was nowhere in the episode whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about it because it was just something I watched the episode twice and I'm thinking, did I just miss it? Was it just on, was it an app thing? Cause I watched it first on the app and then I watched it on my DVR and then I realized, no, there was no sequence. Yeah. I had no idea why. If, somebody from the show is listening to this we would love to know what the creative decision was for that or maybe it's an easter egg that we haven't learned yet so chris is there anything else about the episode you want to talk about uh like you all mentioned the return of paul blackthorne i thought was delightful and i love the change you have from a season one quentin lance that we see versus the one now and even oliver hints at at some point like how did we get here from you wanting to put me in jail to now you're like you believe me when I come in and say, I'm stuck in a time loop. And he's like, oh, okay. And there's no really questioning it, anything like that. It's nice to have seen how those two characters' relationship evolve prior to his death and how in Oliver's head dimension, he continues to believe that it would have existed in that same way, shape, or form. And I kind of am now curious to wonder what it would have been like in Star City had Quentin Lance assumed the role of mayor when everything was all said and done. Had he actually survived being shot by Diaz then taken over as the mayor and what a difference it would have made in say the last season of arrow where he's got an ally in the city it would have been neat i thought it was great seeing him back there i enjoyed the time loopiness of it and i'm kind of curious to see where we go next week because the final reveal of being somewhere and realizing oh hell we're on leon Yu. there's a lot of potential there the question is what's left of leon Yu after it all got blown to hell by diaz or not Diaz, it was a chase. 
We've already been on the island once afterwards. That's true. But we didn't see a big picture view of it. We saw little bits of the island, but presumably if they're going to be doing a whole episode on the island, we're going to see more than a campfire or one beach. You know, they said the whole island blew up. So anything living there was probably caught by a concussive blast, but it didn't look like all the trees were blown down like you would see in a hurricane or a tornado. Again, as we speculated before, Leon Yu did not sink into the sea. It was just explosive towards humans. Correct. I'm wondering what's in the prison because we obviously see the Argus prison there. So who's in the prison down there? I'm wondering if we get to see Merlin in the episode because I've speculated that he might be brought back and this would be a great time to bring him back as the the episode right before Crisis, right? So it would fit in the filming of him being back. And I'm wondering who the bad guy is in there. I knew immediately when they woke up in the tent, I was like, oh, this brings me back to like season two on the island. So I, I knew right away that they were on Leon Yu at the end. And I look forward to see what's there. I did not see the Amazo out in the harbor, although it could be a different view that we just are not mm-hmm. seeing it. And I don't know if the plane wreckage is going to be there. I don't know if the wreck of the sub is going to be there. I don't know. Leon Yu has the temples as well. Who knows what's going to be there? But it would be fun finding out. And I'm just going to I'm going to dangle this out in front of you, Chris. You know who else could be out there? It's not going to be Slade. He's out doing his own thing in the world. I doubt they arrested him and put him back on the island. I would love it if they did, but I have resigned myself to the fact that Manu Bennett is probably not coming back in any way, shape, or form for the end run of Arrow. That's, that's fair, but we got Anatoly, so maybe we'll see Slade. That's okay, but not quite as good as it could have been. That being said, though, it is kind of nice that the show begins on Lian Yu, and arguably one of the last episodes of the show before Crisis is ending on Lian Yu. Some appropriate uh, symmetry there. We didn't get Shadow or her sister yet. We didn't see her sister in Hong Kong, so that would be nice to see her again as well. That's true. Maybe Oliver's going to find some more magical island herbs, and he can have a uh, a trip out moment where he sees them and they tell him something he must know for Crisis. I don't know. Got to pack, got to pack the trunk full of herbs so he can give it to Mia. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there's going to be a scene between Oliver and Mia, and Oliver is like, here's a bowl of water. Slap it. Oh, I would love it. Please make that happen. The slapping the water started in the wreckage of the plane, but I could see it starting in the tent as well. Mm -hmm. I like that one. Well, is there anything else, SP? Yeah, we didn't talk about the fight. We usually talk about the fights, and I, would, I did want to mention the fight, specifically the fight in the warehouse at the end where it ends up in Quentin sacrificing himself at the end. There is that long fight scene. It was a continuous camera shot, but I really enjoyed how they did it because it was obvious that Oliver was traded out for a stunt double at that point in time. Did you guys see that where you had Stephen Amell where you could clearly see his face and then he goes off camera and then a new green arrow comes in. All you see is the back of the hood the entire time. Great action, great continual shot all the way. It's just that the actors and the stuntmen themselves didn't have to learn the entirety of the choreography because the stuntman went back and then Stephen Amell went back in and you could see his face. I think instead of those hard cuts, which I absolutely hate, but I realize that they have to happen in order to get an episode out in eight days. 
I think that that was a good way to do it. So I enjoyed it. It was brawling, but it was obvious that they had traded out actors and stuntmen. I think it's interesting we find out there's no big belly burger in the future. Yeah. It's a sad moment. R.A.P. Big Belly Burger. We're going to miss you. And also, over on The Flash, we find out that Jitters is gone, too. There's a spoiler for you, but Jitters is no more. <gasps> right, because it, it went boom. And they haven't had time to rebuild it, because Flash has been too busy to rebuild things. You know, there was a previous season where Jitters got damaged, and he repaired it, but he's been too busy to do that. We are going to find out if Mia begins to slap water next week. The episode is called Purgatory. It's season eight, episode seven. It will air Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. Oliver's mission takes him to Lee and Yu, where he tries to ignore the repercussions of the looming crisis until he receives help from an old friend. Meanwhile, a United Team Arrow faces a recognizable villain. Directed by James Banford, written by Rebecca Bellotto and Rebecca Rosenberg. Well, that one sounds like it's going to be fun. That being said, looking at the time and our show notes, it is time for us to start wrapping things up. So a thank you to everyone who participated in the live chat over on Geeks.Live, one of the other sites we do embed on. But also a giant thank you to everyone who downloads the audio episodes over at StarlingTribune.com or catches the video replays over at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. Remember, if you want to keep up to date with all the conversation real time about crisis, get into our discord server at guineageek.com slash discord. We'll have all sorts of news and we'll talk about things and you'll want to be there because we're going to cover all the episodes with crisis, but we're going to do it one at a time. And if you want to talk about the whole thing, you're going to have to go into our discord server earlier than listen to our episodes which won't be finalized because there's five of them it won't be finalized till january so you're gonna have to hang tight with that and remember you can catch us live as we record as f smittick actually happened today at www.geeks.live join our live chat and talk with us as we record you can do that usually 7 30 p.m eastern and 4 30 p.m pacific on thursday since yesterday was american thanksgiving we slipped it to today so thank you very much f smittick for joining us today we would love to hear from you we are the starlight tribune on facebook and instagram at starlight tribune on twitter and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE that's 612-888-2283 well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag time loop episodes rock. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag it's Hedgehog Day, Hoss. Just one. Just one. Nope. Not gonna happen. It's my shtick now. It's my shtick. I'm sticking to it. Thank you very much, Mark Guggenheim. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag I'm glad Quentin's back. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended.
We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.